morning. If you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Well, before I read Nehemiah 8, we read it last week, but we'll read it again. We're going to stay in Nehemiah 8 here. I'll kind of introduce the topic, and then that way you can be thinking about it as we read through the passage and see and see where... See where it is here in Nehemiah 8. But kind of to review to start a little bit. We want um, a balanced view of what it means to live for God, to be a Christian, to know Him. You get to say it another way, you want a full view. You don't want to focus in on one aspect and leave something out. And so we had just talked about how you know, the Bible says a lot of good things about knowing the truth, and so that's true, and we want to know the truth, and so we hold on to that with one hand. But the Bible also talks about obeying the truth, and we want to hold on to that with the other hand, too, and not let go of either one. We don't want to just know but not obey, um, and how will we obey if we don't know what it is uh, we're obeying? For example, we said, how do we love if we don't know what love is? We can't obey the command unless we actually know the truth. And they're not pitted against one another. We want to hold fast to both. And that's just one example. We could talk about a lot of different examples. You could use an example of that kind of same idea in just everyday life. Um, you want, let's say you're building a house, and there's some of you here who, that's your job, is you work on people's houses. And you get an imbalanced view, and you start to think, um, it's just about how fast I can get it done. That's the main thing. Is that the kind of guy you want working on your house? His one idea is like, just as fast as I can get it done, that's the main thing. Well, it might be kind of cheap, maybe, to get him to do it, but that's not all there is. <laughs> Whenever you're you know, fixing something or working on something, you want it done well, right? And so we want this balanced view in other areas of our, of our life as well. Um, you know, and you could do something totally different. There might be somebody who just wants to get it done as fast as possible, or somebody might want it to um, be as sturdy as possible. And you could do that. Oh, that'd be good. But what if it looks really terrible? <laughs> that's possible, you know, uh, to build something that's really, really uh, going to last a long time and it really looks bad. <laughs> um, and so we can do that in our Christian life. And how do we correct for that? Well, we just stay with the Bible. We stick with the Bible. The Bible is presenting us with a full view of the Christian life. And so we just have to hold fast to all the pieces and do our best one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible is so we don't just pick and choose the little things we like to talk about and just hammer on those and forget all you know the other pieces that maybe hit us differently. And we, as individuals, might focus on things differently. And so we can see this, you know, one area, I don't want to pick on any certain group, but one area that I've definitely seen this, um, well, we talked about knowledge, you know, is one. You could really focus on knowledge and and lose a lot of what the Bible teaches in other areas. Another might be miracles. You know, I, I've talked to people who they have this real, they're holding tight to Jesus can heal people, but then they get really discouraged when they don't ever, when they don't see it. And so it's like this one thing is so big that it's discouraging me in all my other areas of my life because I've made this one thing the main thing. And so we want to hold on to all the truth of the Bible. And so that's why we're preaching through books, Old Testament, New Testament. And so I want to kind of add a third 
thing that we have talked about, knowledge, obedience. Um, we talked about those. We want to hold fast to them. But today I want to talk to you about a biblical view of emotions. And it's another area that you could think about it. You could know truth and you could obey it and you have no idea what, the, what a biblical theology of emotions are. Because you can go to work, do your job, be a parent, and you could do it all with, you know, either the wrong emotions or uh, no emotions. And so we want a biblical theology in all areas. So I want you, as we read Nehemiah 8, just to think about all the emotions going on here uh, and what it means in terms of our Christian life. So let's read Nehemiah 8. We'll see all those pieces. We'll see obedience. We'll see truth. And then let's, let's focus today on a biblical view of emotions here. Nehemiah 8, 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkah, and Masiah, on his right, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Melisham on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands as they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet. For this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy, leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. 
So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Okay, so before we go on to kind of application and how does this apply to us, I first want to just give you some background here because there's some things that happen that are kind of first reading kind of strange, but it makes sense if you have some of the background. So in terms of emotions, we see that they read the law of God and they realized basically they hadn't been obeying some of these things, and there was weeping, which makes sense, right? It's like, wow, we we haven't been doing this. We didn't even know God wanted us to do this, and so they're weeping and they're mourning. But then something kind of different happens, kind of shocking, Uh, he says, stop weeping and rejoice (laughs) as a command. (laughs) You need to do this. And that's kind of different. Um, And why did he do that? Well, the reason he did that, there's a very specific reason, it seems like, from from the Bible. And that's because when God commanded the Feast of Booze, part of it was to rejoice about how God had brought them out um, and how they used to live in the wilderness, but now they're here in the promised land. And so I want to read you a couple of verses so you can just see that um, very clearly. One from Leviticus and one from Deuteronomy, where they both emphasize that they're supposed to be rejoicing in terms of this feast that they're celebrating. So first I'll read, from you, read to you from Leviticus 23, where it's describing the Feast of Booze, and it says, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, When you have gathered the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. And on the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, the branches of palm trees, and the boughs of leafy trees, and of willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord. For seven days in the year, it's a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month, and you shall dwell in booths for seven days. Okay, so that's Leviticus 23, and the part I wanted you to notice was where it specifically said, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So there's a specific command that part of this feast, uh, part of the reason they're dwelling in booths was to rejoice. And then the same in Deuteronomy. You shall keep the feast of booze seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast. And you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord your God will choose. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. That's in Deuteronomy 16. So you see that the reason that he was commanding them to rejoice was because that was specifically a part of this feast that they were celebrating, the Feast of Booths. And so it reminded me of a story from when I was, I don't, actually I don't remember how old I was. I was either in college or, or high school, but uh, actually I was in high school because 
it was the Thanksgiving after my grandma had just died. So my grandma died right before Thanksgiving. We had a funeral, and so a bunch of family had come into town, and so they wouldn't be coming back for Thanksgiving. And we did something we never did, which was we went out to eat on Thanksgiving. There was a place. They found my parents found a restaurant that was serving Thanksgiving dinner, and we had just had all this stuff going on, and nobody was coming up to be with us, so we decided we'll just eat out. And it was really sad. It was like, it was a, if you eat out for Thanksgiving, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but our, it was like a combination of our mood and every, and we weren't doing what we normally did. And it was just the saddest Thanksgiving dinner I've ever been a part of by far. And we were all just, I remember sitting there at the restaurant and we were just sitting in silence and it was just, the feeling was just like, this is just so wrong. We're all sad. We're, we don't know what to say. We don't feel like we should be here. Um, we felt bad that we were, and then I, we started feeling bad that we're even out eating out. We're like feeling bad for the waitress. You know, it's like, oh man, now she has to work on Thanksgiving because we're here. <laughs> and so we were just like saying thank you so much to this, you know, this waitress who probably was missing her Thanksgiving because we were out eating out. And anyways, it was just the opposite of Thanksgiving. We were just so sad and we weren't enjoying time as a family. We were just sad. And so it was like the what Thanksgiving is supposed to be, we were doing the opposite. You know, it's like, um, and so, but now imagine if, they didn't have Thanksgiving back then, but imagine if God had commanded it, which is what is going on in, in Nehemiah, right? It's, it's this feast where they're supposed to have joy and rejoice in what God has done. And they were, it was just the opposite. It was like, they're just all weeping together. And so, in that case, he's like, look, this is not what God meant this to be. And so he's telling them, you need to, re- you need to re- rejoice. You need to be joyful. And so that's kind of the context, um, historically, or historical background here, and why he would say that, because it seems kind of strange, you know. Um, now, how does it relate to us? What can we learn from this passage about our relationship with God and God's relationship to emotions. And first I'll just say, this is really a difficult topic, actually. I ask a lot of people, I was talking to my pastor friends or just my friends, and I asked them, do you know of anyone in their systematic theology or a book has a real robust theology of emotions, where they really dig into it and how the Bible treats emotions and what it says? And basically everyone said, no, I don't. That's a good question. I'll be on the lookout for that. And it was kind of interesting. And I, I just asked them, well, think about some of these difficult things. And they all said, yeah, that is difficult. I'm not sure. <laughs> and so the reality is, is the Bible says a lot about emotions, but I haven't seen, at least the people that I asked and me personally, haven't seen someone really dig into a lot of the difficult details. How do emotions play out in the Christian life? And it is pretty complicated. But first point that we, we can take. So just a few basic things about emotions that we can take from this passage and from the Bible in general is first, that God cares about our emotions. That's big. I mean, think about that. God cares about your emotions. God cares about what you know. God cares about you obeying what you know. But he also cares about your emotions. Think about, think about this. Matthew 15, Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but with their heart they're far from me. So we know heart means more than emotions in you know, in the Bible, your will, your knowledge, all, all that's in there. But emotions are wrapped up in the term heart, along with, you know, basically your whole inner life. 
What about in Psalms, there's another verse that makes it really clear. He talks about the unrighteous, and he says, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. He's talking about unrighteous, their emotions. They don't, they're not feeling what they ought to feel. Um, as well as I think their will is wrapped up in that too. What about in Second Corinthians? This one's really clear. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So think about that. You can know I ought to give. You can obey I ought to give. And you can do it really like I hate giving. And that's not good. Right? We want to know, we want to obey, and we want our emotions, our heart, our will, our desires to be in line with all that. God loves when emotions are right, and God's displeased when our emotions are, aren't right. Um, the same kind of idea come, is in Proverbs in, in the Old Testament. Don't eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating, but saying, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. So here this guy is doing the outward thing, but in his heart he's calculating, ah, this is costing this and this and this. One more, this is a negative example from Proverbs. Um, the writer here is, is warning against sin, and this is what he says about it. He's saying, don't, don't fall into sin, don't do all these things, lest at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. So you see, his emotions, he's warning against sin, and he's saying, your emotions can be all wrong, where the thing you should you know, take hold of, discipline from God, don't go this way, go this way, the thing you should love and, and embrace, you hate. I hate discipline. And that, and he's saying that leads to groaning. So the first thing we see from the, the rest of the Bible, but also here in Nehemiah, through both the commands in the Old Testament that they're trying to obey, and then this passage here, is that God cares about their emotions. That God wants them to, in this case, rejoice here. Rejoice in what God has done. And so God, God cares about their emotions, which leads to the second thing that we can for sure know about emotions is that from this passage and from the Bible is that God commands us about our emotions, which is kind of maybe not what you'd expect, you know, at first. Uh, just emotions are a difficult thing, really. Because I can't even command my own emotions. I can't just tell myself, I feel sad, and just say, quit it. And then it's like, I'm happy. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> but that's not how it works. But God commands our emotions just like that. I mean, he commands a pretty big, like kind of like a whiplash almost of emotions here where they're we everyone's weeping together. Their face, it says, was on the ground. It's about as sad a meeting as I've ever heard. I mean, I've never been in a meeting where everybody's weeping with their face on the ground. And then he turns around and commands them, stop, get up, rejoice, and feast. It's like, that's a pretty quick turnaround. And um, that's what God does. He commands emotions. And God has the right to command our emotions. Um, think about, again, the rest of the Bible. There's a lot of commands about emotions. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's a command about our emotions that we shouldn't be quick to get angry. We should be slow to get angry. Here's an interesting one. This, Actually, you want to turn 
with me to this one because this one, I think about this one. This is a very strange passage. Deuteronomy 28, 47 through 48. You know when you're reading through the Bible and you, you read something, it's like, man, I do not remember this. This, is, this sticks out. This, is, this passage sticks out to me. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. This is teaching something positive by condemning the negative, if that makes sense. So think, it's going to say something negative, but think about the positive side of what it's saying you should do, okay? So 47 and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and in thirst and nakedness, and lacking everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. So God brought them in to the promised land, and he gave them basically everything they could want. Remember the land of milk and honey. Not only that, he's with them, and what does he say? He says, because you did not serve the Lord with your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Basically that all those things will be taken but what that's saying, what they should have done was, in reverse, serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Think about that. God brought them into the promised land, and what was one of the things he really, really wanted them to do? Serve him with joyfulness and gladness because of the abundance of all things. That's a pretty amazing verse. Um, you know, it makes me think of those verses, my commandments are not burdensome. It's like, that's not a burdensome commandment. Like when Think about it in your life. It's like, God, what does God want from me? What's God's will? Remember how we said will just means want. What does God want? God wants me to serve him with gladness and joy because of the abundance of all that he's given me. Like, you sit down to eat, enjoy it. You play with your kids, they're there. You've got kids that can run and talk and, and walk and, and they run up, can run up and give you a hug. It's like, Rejoice in the Lord for what he's given you. It's, it's pretty a uh, light burden, right? And it's like, praise the Lord. Very similar, uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, another command. This one specifically to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. God commands our emotions. He says, your emotions should be like this, and they shouldn't be like this. You know, it's like rejoice in what? In that case, the two things so far that we've read that says rejoice in is the Lord and then rejoice in the Lord because of all the things he's around us. So it's rejoice in him and himself and then rejoice in him through all the gifts he's given you, both. And then there's, you know, there's negative commands. I won't read too many of them, but there's things we shouldn't rejoice in. Like in Proverbs says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. So it's like here, Rejoice in these kind of things. Don't rejoice in, in evil. Don't rejoice in, in bad things happening to people. Um, so you see that God commands our emotions. God cares about our emotions, and God commands us uh, to rejoice. And, you know, not only that, God commands us to mourn, right? And so that's the other side in Nehemiah that we see. The question that I have when I read that passage, I'm going to go back to Nehemiah here is was it okay that they were mourning over their sin? Was God saying I, that he wasn't pleased? It doesn't seem like that. Um, and it doesn't say that 
explicitly, but I'm taking verses from the rest of the Bible and I'm, I'm kind of interpreting that it was okay that they were mourning over their sin and it was actually even good. Because there's commands in Jeremiah, it says weep and mourn over your sin. Just he commands them. We should mourn over sin. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, the Bible has a positive view on mourning over sin, and the Bible has a positive view over rejoicing when it's proper to rejoice. And so God commands our emotions. God cares about our emotions. And then the next thing, God desires a full emotional life for his people. Uh, I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but you can see it in this text, what I mean. And it's, they had pretty extreme emotions from both directions. And the Bible is filled with these kind of perplexing passages on emotions where it's like really strong negative emotions and really strong positive emotions and, and they're just put right together like they don't contradict at all. Like sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's perplexing. Um, one that sticks out to me is from Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes is really interesting. Over and over and over he says nothing better. There's nothing better. And he says something that there's nothing better than. And it just struck me when I was preparing for this. He says over and over, nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Nothing better than to be joyful and to do good. Uh, there's a bunch. You could look them up if you, if you wanted to take the time. I'll, I'll read a couple more. Just I won't read them all because there's quite a few. But What I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Okay, so you see, there. I could read quite a few more of those, but basically, rejoice in all that God has given you. Rejoice in wherever you're at, the work you have to do, your family, your food, your drink, all the things that God has given you. Rejoice, and there's nothing better than nothing better under the sun than that, and to rejoice in what God has given you. Okay, so that's one side, but then Ecclesiastes has the totally the opposite side as well. It says this: It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it by heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. So it's like, it's saying over and over, nothing better than to rejoice in God and what he's given you to do and where he's put you. But then it says something that seems so on the other side which is, it's better to be mourned. It's better to be sad. And so this is just a real summary of what the Bible is like as you read through about emotions. It's got real strong sadness and sorrow and mourning and a lot of rejoicing, both. Commands, both directions. And I think that what we can take from this, well, I think one of the things we can take from this is We don't want to become one-dimensional, right? We don't want to just pick and choose. You know, maybe we're sad um, by nature, and so we just pick all the verses on sadness and we say, it's better to go to the house of mourning. Sorrow is better than laughter. And then all of us that are happy, or if you are happy, you know, by nature, you pick the other verses and you decide, 
No, there's nothing better than to be joyful and to do good. And you just pick the ones you want and you just ignore the others. No, of course not, right? We, bo- we, we, we want to obey the Bible, everything it says. And so the Christian life is really portrayed, the life of following God is this strange mixture of deep sorrow and deep rejoicing, both. It's just like Nehemiah here, weeping on your face, but then rejoicing, rejoicing that God has brought you out. Weeping over your sin, rejoicing that God loves you. It's pretty amazing. I mean, we could go over over different stories that kind of illustrate this. Um, But God, this is what God wants. He wants both. He wants us to mourn when we see the bad things in the world. He doesn't want us just smiling all the time, like, it, doesn't it, wouldn't it seem wrong if it's like, I'm just so happy all the time. Why are you so happy? I'm on my way, you know, to heaven and my sins are forgiven. And it's like, well, what, what about all the hard things in the world? I never shed a tear. I never frown. I never, I never shed a tear over any of that sad stuff because I'm on my way to heaven. It's like, that doesn't fit, right? That doesn't fit with Jesus, right? A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. It's like, Jesus wept when he saw death. Jesus wept over sinners who were just throwing their lives away. Remember when he stood on, he's looking into Jerusalem and he, he's weeping and he says, as a hen gathered her chicks, I would have gathered you, but you were not willing. Remember that? It's like Jesus who prays in the garden. There's a, there's a lot of joy in the prayer, you know, in terms of he loves the Father. He's with the Father. He knows he's secure in um, he knows where he's going. He, he, having loved his own, he, uh, he loved them to the end. He, he's full of love. He's, he knows that it's secure. He knows that he, I lay down my life and I'm going to take it up again. There's all this certainty, and yet there's sorrow over the sin. There's sorrow over seeing the misery in the world. Um, at the same time that he's, he's wanting us to have his joy. Remember he prays that? that he, um, I can't quote it off the top of my head, but basically that the joy he has would be in us. So the reality is, is he had both. He had sorrow and joy. Um, and so that's what our life as a Christian ought to be. We should, we should weep. I mean, we, when we see, I mean, things on the news are so sad. And we should be able to fully enter in and just say, this is so sad. I'm, I'm grieved over this. And yet, at the same time, it would be easy to just wallow. And just be sad all the time, overwhelmed with sorrow. It's like, man, do you know what's going on here in the world? Do you know what's going on here? Do you know what's going on in Kirksville? Do you know what? And just be sad all the time. It would be very easy. But God doesn't want us to do that either. He wants us to rejoice in the Lord always. He wants this. He wants both for us. But let me say one more thing. This passage in Nehemiah is kind of instructive too in that way that it, the order that it goes. It's like mourning, then rejoicing. And that's the way it's going to be in our life as a Christian. You know, it starts out, we, it starts out with mourning um, over our sin and then leads to rejoicing and, and sins forgiven. But ultimately in the scope of history, that's the way it works out too. James says this, Weep and mourn, yet let your laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. But. And he will exalt you. So it's like. You're going down. But you're going to be brought up. 
And all these verses, I was thinking about how do I make sense of all these verses about mourning, blessed are those who mourn, and it's better to go in the house of sorrow. One thing to note is that's not forever. Right? The mourning, the weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That all these things that the Christian mourns over, the sin, abuse, um, all these difficult and horrible things going on in the world that we could, unspeakable things, we should mourn over it. But one day it's all going to be put right. One day it's all going to end. And in heaven, the verse we're, we're, we're going to hold on to isn't blessed are those who mourn. Because there's not going to be any more mourning. It specifically says that. There's not going to be, Jesus is going to wipe every tear from my eye, and there would be no more mourning or tears or pain. And so those verses are true for now because of the world that's around us, because of the sin in the world and the effects of sin. And we can be sad. Uh, and that's right. Don't forget that it's going to end in rejoicing. That all those things that cause us to weep, cause us to mourn, and it's right to do it now, they're going to be put right. And so, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that heaven isn't described as blessed are those who mourn for eternity. I mean, that would be so sad. Um, But it's not. We're going to be rejoicing to be with the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord forever and ever. So how do we apply this these ideas, just real basic ideas about emotions from the Bible, that God cares about our emotions, that God commands us in our emotions. We want to take those commands seriously. And that the commands, what God wants is this full emotional life or deep emotional life in, in all directions. Um, how do we apply this to our life? Well, I want you to think with me and, and ask yourself if this, if this would be a help to you in applying this to your life. When we read the Bible, you get up, I hope you read the Bible every day, um, whether that's whenever you do it, but I hope you read the Bible and you're feeding your soul with his word and make time for it. Um, if, you, if you aren't, um, pray, ask the Lord to help you, set a time, um, ask your spouse or your friend to keep, help you, to keep accountable, ask them, hey, what do you do that works for you in terms of scheduling and things like that. So I, I hope you're reading the Bible every day. Um, you need that food for your soul. But for those of you who are, I want you to think, do you think of the Bible, what kind of food is it? I mean, because it's easy to think of it as like, I just need a little bit more information today. But I want you to add another thought as you wake up maybe this next week, as you open your Bible, to think about it as resetting your emotions. That it's not just you need to know more, but it's, Resetting your emotions and bringing them in line with what God says and giving them to God. Maybe that's praying over something that grieves you or confessing, hey, I don't feel like rejoicing today or whatever it is. But as you read through the Bible over and over, there's so many emotions that come up. Think about Psalm 119, you know, longest chapter in the Bible about God's word. So much of it, he's talking about his emotions and in, in, in relation to God's word. I'll just read you a couple. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. So if we were going to translate that today, I don't, when people come up to me and say, hey, how are you doing? I don't say, my soul is clinging to the dust. You know, the way we, way we would say that today is, I'm depressed, right? I'm feeling really depressed. So think about this. 
Your testimonies are to my, to my delight. They're my counselors. I'm really depressed. Give me life according to your word. I mean, he's, he's got some serious emotional stuff going on. And where's he going? He's going to God and he's going to his word. And, you know, I was thinking about as a, you know, when I, I don't, I'm not teaching special ed anymore, but when I did, I, continue, I needed to continue to learn, but I knew a lot, of, a lot of things that I needed to know for my day. But one thing I needed to do every day was check my attitude because, and, and renew my attitude because it's really easy to go in and do the right thing with a bad attitude, and that really is miserable for everybody. And I was thinking about, wow, I think I need that in my Christian life too. I mean, it's like get up in the morning, and when I read my Bible to see it as God not only teach me something from your word, but give me right emotions, renew my emotions. If I'm mourning over something, if I'm grieving over something, or if I'm not rejoicing over something I should, God, and just pouring it out to him and, and receive back some things you can rejoice in. Um, if something in the Bible, you know, the people are grieved, and you just, it's like, well, I, I don't grieve over that. So I confess it, ask the Lord to help. God's there. I'll give you a couple of quotes. These aren't from the Bible. They're just from Christian. It's over in history. But George Mueller said this. Think about this in light of what he's saying about the Bible in terms of each day in his life. Is he seeing it? What is he seeing it as? Listen to this. George Mueller. He's the one that ran that orphanage with all the kids and just prayed and prayed for, for provision. Okay. This is what he says. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Uh, that's pretty amazing. He's saying every day when I wake up and I you know, get down to reading my Bible, the first thing, my goal, is actually emotional. <laughs> I want to rejoice in God. And I want to start my day there. That's huge. Is that the way you think of your Bible reading? Or is it just information? You know, Pretty different, right? Um, uh, C.S. Lewis says this, Joy is the serious business of heaven. He's saying, this is really important, right? When we rejoice in the Lord, it's really important. It's not just um, secondary, it's primary. And now, but also in heaven, that's what we're going to be doing, is we're going to be rejoicing in the Lord. Let's prepare now. Let's walk now. One other way you might think about this in terms of application is just as you read your Bible Notice, start, just start noticing emotions and God's commands on, on, on emotions and how much they come up in the Bible and the stories in the Bible, um, whether that's through the Psalms or through the stories of people's lives. But I was just thinking about, I made this list a while ago of all the verses that say always and every day. The reason I did that was because it's like, man, the Bible's a big book. <laughs> I want to hit the important things, you know. I don't want to hit... I don't want to get all the secondary things right and get all the primary things wrong, you know. And so I was like, well, what I'll do is I'll make a list of all the always and every day's commands, and then that'll probably be a good place to start because, like, I have to do this every day and always. And one thing I didn't realize or think about until preparing this sermon was how many of them are emotional. A lot of them are commands on our emotions. Like, you need to, well, I'll just read some. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Or... Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there's two commands. Thankful and rejoicing in the Lord, always. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5. So there's another one. He says rejoice always again there. Um, we're always, also always seeking to do good to everyone and to one another. You know, if you want... If you're like me, I'm kind of a, I guess it's kind of like a negative connotation, but skeptical, right? So it's like, well, is that really what the, God wants me to do each day when I open the Bible? Well, I'll give you a couple of verses, like why this is really important. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Mm-hmm. Think about how different, how similar that really is to what Nehemiah said what they said in command. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's like it really, really matters what's in your heart. You Be vigilant about it. That's what you know, of course, your will, but also your emotions. It's important to be vigilant and not, not to think that it doesn't matter. Another verse from Proverbs that's really similar to Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen to this. This is the opposite side. It says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Think about that. Where, there, where, where there's not joy, where you're crushed in spirit, it just it's going to sap the strength out of you. And so it's important for us and that we rejoice in the Lord, that we give our emotions to God, that we align them with what He says, that we ask for help. And... The last way I want you to think about this, and this is kind of an encouragement, is that God wants to help you. This isn't just you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This isn't just you saying, like, I'm going to be happy, you know. Uh, This is God wants to help you. Think about what the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, just stop right there. Think about just the first few. When God puts his spirit in you, one of the things he wants to do is fill you with love, which certainly part of it's emotional, right? Actually love people around you. Fill you with joy. God wants you to have joy, and part of what he does with his spirit is he's going to help you. It's going to be coming out of you, uh, coming out of the spirit, filling your life, peace. Surely that's peace with God, but surely that's also peace in terms of inner inner peace. Peace as you walk in. through your day when difficult things happen. So I just want to encourage you that the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for your sins, to wash away your sins, is that he wants to redeem every part of you. He wants to redeem your mind. He wants to redeem your will. He wants to redeem your hands, you know, what you're doing. You're doing new things. You're, do, you're obeying for the Lord. But he also is there to redeem your emotions, your emotional life. That he's, he's part of the fall has been the breaking of our emotions. Think about emotions that exist now that should never have existed. Shame, guilt, fear. All these things that just are, fill our world because of the fall, because of sin. That they weren't God's plan. God's going to redeem us emotionally as well as spiritually, physically. It's going to be full-orbed. And so we can lean in. We can ask for help. 
And so just kind of an introduction really to emotions, something I want to think more about. And if you guys have any book recommendations or thoughts that you've, you know, thought of that are helpful, that'd be great. Um, But it's just something to begin to think about and to ask God to help us every day. Isn't this something that you want? I mean, what if this could be our verse? The joy of the Lord is our strength. That'd be a great verse. Life verse, it's like, what's your what's one verse that really sums up your life? The joy of the Lord is my strength. That'd be great. It's like every day you wake up, you're rejoicing. Maybe you're not rejoicing, but you ask the Lord for help, and he helps you to rejoice, and you press on. It's like, God, thank you for today. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for just all the things around us. And so we can just ask the Lord to help us as we go forward to rejoice in him, to mourn over the things that we should mourn over and to rejoice over the things we should rejoice over and ask God to help us bring them together, you know. I mean, I know there's things going on in people's lives that it's like, man, I'm just so sad about this particular thing all the time. It's like, yeah, I get it. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's wrong. When there's really something really messed up and really sad that happens, you can be sad. But don't stop there. Ask the Lord to help you to continue, despite this hard circumstance, this difficult thing, to rejoice in Him and to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, both. And so let's encourage one another in this as best we can. Help um, Try and help one another. I mean, even think about what it said there about speaking, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I mean, we that's one thing we can do is just... Speak to one another, hey, this song has been encouraging me. This verse from the Psalms has been helping me emotionally today. You know, different things like that. So let's just trust the Lord going forward and let's ask each other for help to pray for one another. And that's another thing, too, that, well, I need to close here, but let me say this. You know, we pray a lot for physical things, you know, people, which I think is good. Um, but you know what? Emotional things are real too. And they really matter to God. So I feel like, you know, maybe that's one thing at the women's prayer meeting or men's prayer meeting or small group or whatever that we want to feel free to ask for help. It's like, look, I'm just feeling so sad about this thing I saw in the news and I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. Um, and I've just really struggled to rejoice in the Lord this week. Would you help me? Would you pray for me and ask God to help me? And would you text me or something, um, an encouraging verse or something like that? I mean, those are real prayer requests, and we can we can ask for help in this area too, from God and from each other. So, let's pray to close. Lord, we do just come to you and just confess that our emotions just get out of whack, and we just many days I wake up just with emotions. I don't know where they come from or why I'm sad or or what's the cause. Um, But it definitely gets in my way of rejoicing in you or I let it get in the way of that. And so I just ask for help. Be able to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We need help in it. I pray you'd help us as a church to be healthy and not to pretend we're happy if we're not and um, not to be so happy that we we can't weep with those who weep. We need help in every area of our emotional life, and we're just trusting you that you'll help us. You said um, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And so we're looking for that, looking to you to put love in us, put joy in us, put peace in us. We need help. 
if there's, I just pray that there's, I'm sure people struggle with specific emotions, um, struggle with them specifically. And I just pray you'd give them great grace and help both to share that and to be, um, open about that and ask for prayer, but also that you just help them day to day and by your spirit. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that it says about our emotions. I just pray that you would cause the, your joy to be our strength this next week and you teach us what that means. Thank you for Jesus for dying on for us. Thank you for covering our sins, every single sin. Um, we're thankful that you're going to redeem all of us. Amen.